All right, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 7. We're going through Sermon on the Mount. We've made it through chapter 5 and chapter 6. And now we're digging into chapter 7 and probably one of the most wrongly interpreted texts in the Bible. Right? Have you guys heard, don't judge me? Or, you can't judge me? That's the text this morning. And so, in your Bibles, Matthew chapter 7, this is what we read. Remember, Jesus is the teacher. Jesus is the teacher, the greatest teacher to ever walk the planet. This is what He has to say. Do not judge, so that you won't be judged. For you will be judged by the same standard with which you judge others, and you will be measured by the same measure with which you measure others. Why do you look at the splinter in your brother's eye, but don't notice the beam of wood in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the splinter out of your eye, and look, there's a beam of wood in your own eye. Hypocrite. First, take the beam of wood out of your eye, and then you will see clearly to take the splinter out of your brother's eye. Don't give what is holy to dogs or toss your pearls before pigs or they will trample them under their feet, turn and tear you to pieces. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Help us understand this passage. Uh, Father, I pray that you open up our hearts, open up our minds for what you have for us this morning. We're not here by accident, but you have something for us. So help us here. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, I got two songs to open up. I'm not going to sing either of them. I'm not going to play either of them. Some of you might have heard these two songs. Number one is from Chris Brown, and his song is Don't Judge Me. And I'm going to read some of his lyrics. They include, just let the past be the past and focus on things that are going to make us laugh. So he's speaking to his current girlfriend. He messed up. So, of course, let the past be the past. But then he keeps going. Take me as I am and not who I was. So please don't judge me, and I won't judge you. Because it could get ugly before it gets beautiful, so please don't judge me, and I won't judge you. And if you love me, then let it be beautiful. And so here he is arguing, don't judge me. Now, Jesus just said, do not judge. And I think sometimes when we get to this passage, we see and we hear, who are you to judge me? Which leads me to the second song. Tupac, one of the greatest lyricists to ever walk the planet, came up with a song, Only God Can Judge Me. Some of his lyrics, Only God Can Judge Me, Nobody Else, Nobody Else, All You Other People, that's uh, an insert there, he used something else for other people, Get Out of My Business, Only God Can Judge Me Now, That Which Does Not Kill Me Can Only Make Me Stronger, and see... And I don't see why everybody feel as though they got to tell me how to live. Let me live, baby, let me live. Only God can judge me, only God. Now, real quick, I thought there was a good uh, conclusion to this. The guy writing this piece said the idea of this song is based on is simple. Tupac understands that his actions will not be looked upon favorably by some. And what he's saying is he doesn't care. Only God can judge him. Now, here's the problem with that. That doesn't make judgment easier. I think it makes it scarier. And the fact is, you need a clean version of the song, Only God Can Judge Me. But I think Tupac and Chris Brown were hitting on something that most people would say this passage hits, but it doesn't. 
When Jesus says do not judge, he's not saying, hey, all judgment is prohibited. That's kind of foolish, don't you think? You should be making judgments. But what he's talking about is the tendency, especially for church attenders, to look at the faults in other people while ignoring their own. That's exactly what Jesus is saying don't do. And so we're going to dig into this passage and we're going to see exactly what it says. It also is talking about you and me. It's not talking about being judged, it's talking about judging others. So the tendency is to look at others, but what I want us to do this morning is to look at ourselves. So, I would say you've already made hundreds of judgments coming in this morning. As a matter of fact, before I even got to do the sermon, I made a judgment. Right? I was giving a group of guys a hard time about basketball. Quincy, have I ever seen you play basketball? Never. But I made a judgment on Quincy. I'm saying he has a broke jump shot. Never seen him shoot a basketball before in my life. This is exactly what Jesus is talking about. I'm looking, I don't know, I just made a judgment call. Quincy might be the best shooter in the room. And so today I want us to see as we dig in, here's the deal, we've got to improve in this area. But there's something bigger than that. There's something bigger than, than that in this text. You want to know why we don't condemn others, why we don't judge harshly? Because God didn't do that for those in Christ. And that's where we're going to go this morning. And listen, this is eternally life-changing. And so if you have experienced the grace of God, the way we treat and judge others should reflect that grace. That's what we're going to talk about. Number one, here we go. Judgment defined, Matthew 7, 1. I told you how we misinterpret this. Um, I think the anthem of our current culture is you can't tell me what to do. You can't tell me what to do. I'm going to live however I want to. I don't care what you have to say. I think that's the anthem that we walk by on a day-to-day -day basis. And so I want us to define exactly what judgment is meant when Jesus says, do not judge, so that you won't be judging. And we talked about it a little bit. We talked about not making a big deal about somebody else's faults while ignoring ours. And we're also saying, be careful who you believe can be saved. So judgment would be, hey, God will never save that person. God will never use that person. That person's too far gone. Because what happens in the Bible Old Testament and New Testament, God always uses people that no one thought would be used. Case in point, guess who wrote this book? Matthew, a tax collector. Nobody wanted anything to do with Matthew except for Jesus. And Jesus changes his life. Jesus calls him to himself, and you read about the account in here, and then Jesus is hanging out. The, the church people, the religious people, were saying, why are you hanging out with tax collectors and sinners? You see, the, the religious people were making a judgment, saying if you are the Son of God, you're not going to associate with people like that. And Jesus is like, I've come to save the sick, not the, not the healthy who don't need a doctor. So we've got to be very, very careful when it comes to judgment. There's two people that I would have missed. And I'll give you an Old Testament example, and I'll give you a New Testament example. If we go about judging people, we would have missed the greatest king of God's people, and we would have missed the greatest missionary and church planner in the New Testament. 
Here's the, here's the account of David. David was the greatest king in the Old Testament. He's the guy that knocked out Goliath, won victory after victory, led the people well, shepherded the people well. The Bible describes him as a man after God's own heart, but he didn't pass the eye test. Didn't pass the eye test. And this is what I mean. Samuel, he arrives and God tells him that, hey, there's this family. Father's name's Jesse. He has some boys. One of those boys are going to be king. Go anoint the king. And so he shows up. Well, Jesse just so happens to have eight sons. And Samuel's like, Ugh, I don't know who you want, God. And so the oldest one shows up. His name's Eliab. Big dude. Passes the eye test. And Samuel's like, oh, here's my guy. And God tells him, no, that's not him. And God reveals exactly why he says, do not look at his appearance or his stature because I have rejected him. People do not see what the Lord sees, for people see what is visible, but the Lord sees the heart. So one reason why we don't judge is because you never ever can see someone's heart. And sometimes the people that we say have no chance and would never be used is exactly the one God is working in and will use in a mighty way. And so Samuel's here and he's like, all right, it's not Eliab. Who's the next guy? Next son comes in. It's not him. All right, who's the next guy? He gets through seven sons. And Samuel looks at Jesse. He's like, hey, dude, you got any more boys? Because none of these are the king. He's like, well, there's the youngest, but he's out with the sheep. He didn't even get invited. He's out. And so that would be like the, the youngest in your family that gets all the, the junk jobs that nobody wants. Just stay busy. Get away. You bother everybody. Go out there with the sheep. And Samuel's like, yeah, we got to go get him. So they invite him in, and at once, God says, hey, there's the man. Didn't even get invited to the table, and that's exactly who God is using. I would have missed him. Didn't pass that. You don't see any leadership in David at this point, and yet that's exactly who God picked. So I would, oh, for one. Well, let's go to the New Testament. Bad dude walking the planet. His name's Saul, who will become Paul. You meet him in Acts. Check out what he's doing, though, in Acts. Acts chapter 1, there's an execution. This guy named Stephen, awesome preacher, filled with the Spirit, spreading the gospel, and Saul votes to put him to death. Like, yeah, let's kill this guy. He's not being true about God. And then you keep reading in verse 3, it says, But Saul was ravaging the church, entering house after house, dragged off men and women, and committed them to prison. So Saul would be the dude that bust down our door and would take us to jail. And then we keep reading in 9 verse 1, but, still, but Saul was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord when he went to the high priest and said, hey, listen, I've taken care of Jerusalem. Let me go to Damascus. There's some dudes down there that are following this same Jesus guy, and I'm going to lock them up, bring them back. And he gets permission. Now, I don't know about you, but I haven't come across a person in Covington that has put anybody in the church to death locking people up on Sundays who are worshiping and then going to other churches looking for more people to arrive. I haven't found that guy. There's some bad dudes in Covington, but not that bad. And guess who Jesus uses? Saul. So he's walking to Damascus to put people in prison and Jesus shows up and changes his life. Now, Ananias is a guy that God uses to go help Saul. And his response would have been mine. Check this out. Now, there was a disciple named Ananias, right? There's this follower of Jesus. The Lord said to him in a vision. So think about this. You just have a vision. Maybe it's a dream. 
He says, hey, uh, Ananias. And he says, here I am, Lord. Right? He doesn't know what's going to happen. So, hey, I'm available. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight. And at that house of Judas, look for a man named uh, Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying and he has seen a vision of a man named Ananias come and lay hands on him so that he may regain his sight. So Ananias was all for it until he realized what it was all for. Ananias answered the Lord, um, I've heard about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And now he's here with the authority of the high priest to bind all who call on your name. And so I love that Ananias is talking back to God and saying, hey, God, I don't know if you know, don't know if you're up to date. This is a bad dude. I don't want to go touch this guy. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles. And by the way, that's you and me. Anybody who's not a Jew, that's Gentile. And so the gospel got to us because God called and used somebody that if we were judging by the world standards, we would never, ever, ever use. And I want you to see something in that. That's normal for God. So if you don't feel like you're a church person, if you don't feel like you're uh, so righteous, uh, that's a good spot to be. Because that's exactly who Jesus goes after. He always uses people that the world think, well, that's not a God person. That's exactly who Jesus uses. And, and then we see Ananias listens. He goes to the house. And now I can only, I wonder if Ananias is terrified, but, but he shows up and laying his hands on Paul, he says, Hey, uh, brother, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road, remember him? I hope this isn't all a fake. I hope this isn't a trick. Well, he came and sent me so that you can regain your sight. So I love this. Like he's just, before this happens, before this goes down, so let's say uh, Tracy here is, is Paul and I'm Ananias walking in. Like right now, Paul's blind. I can still run away from him. I'm like, hey, uh, hey, brother. <laughs> hey, listen, did you really see Jesus? Uh, hey, I, I've been sitting here by him, and, and I want you to regain your sight. And so Ananias still isn't sure. I think he's still hesitating. He's like, uh, I'll pray for you. Boom. Then the scales fall off. And then you see Paul's transformed. He's baptized, and then he starts telling people about Jesus. And then he goes and starts church after church after church. As a matter of fact, most of the New Testament, so about from here to the back of the Bible, most of that was written by a dude that was guilty of murder. That's unreal. And so when Jesus says, don't judge, what he's saying is be very, very careful how you look at people. You can't see their heart and you have no idea how God moves. So that's number one. Let's make sure we get that right. Number two, judgment delivered. Look at verse two. This is for which... For you will be judged by the same standard with which you judge others. And you will be measured by the same measure you use. So this is very, very, we've heard this again and again in the Sermon on the Mount. It comes from Matthew 5, 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. If I've experienced the grace of God, that grace should flow from us to others. And it's this picture when we interact with people, we will either look at people and condemn and see the guilt, or we will look at people with compassion and offer grace. Those are the two ways we view people. And here, what you see again and again in the Bible, Luke 18, 18, 9 and 14, you got a tax collector and a Pharisee. And I think this is interesting why Jesus shares this story. He said he told them this parable of some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. That's a judgment. 
They're judging themselves. Oh, I'm, I'm good. I'm a good dude. I don't cuss that much. God's lucky to have me on his team. That's a judgment. And here's another judgment. They look down on everyone else. On that tax collector. On that drug dealer. On that prostitute. God will never use them. They're never good enough. They're not like me. But then we see that this judgment gets judged. It says that the tax collector went up to the front of the church. He said, hey, God, look at me. Thank, thank you that I'm not like this person and this person and this person. I fast. I pray. I give. You're welcome. Amen. And then goes away. Meanwhile, there's this tax collector. And back in the day, these dudes would rob people blind. They are the most hated people on the planet. Don't come to the front of the church. He'd be out here in the parking lot and he just says, God, I'm sorry. Have mercy on me and then walks off. And Jesus says, hey, this guy is justified before God. This guy doesn't even enter the church building. That's who's made right with my father. And the one that was judging, not justified. So there's judgment coming for all of us. And the warning is, be careful how you judge. If you've experienced the grace of God, your judgment better reflect that grace. If you're condemning and you see the guilt in everybody else's life, you maybe never tasted that grace. God will condemn you. Another example from the Bible, Zacchaeus. Now, unfortunately, there was a kid story. Zacchaeus, every time I say Zacchaeus, I got to go to a wee little man, right? Unfortunately, in the Bible, it's described as, hey, this dude was very short of stature, right? So he was small, couldn't see Jesus walking, goes up to this tree, climbs it. And as Jesus walks by, all right, so Jesus is coming to town and Zacchaeus, also a tax collector up in this tree, and Jesus says, hey, man, I've been waiting for you. Come on down. And Jesus goes and eats with this guy. And I want you to hear the response. It says, so he quickly came down and welcomed him joyfully. And all who saw it began to complain. So think about it. We're all lined up. We're all, who wants to be Zacchaeus? Somebody volunteer. Thank you, Cobbins. So, so Cobbins is up here. He's Zacchaeus. He climbs up a tree. All of us, hey, but you in the back. Right? You, we ain't letting you up here. This is for the good people. We all up here, we're watching Jesus, but he ignores us. And he calls out Cobbins to come and eat lunch with him. And then we start talking, like, why would you go with Josh Cobbins? Why would you go with him? He could have gone with us. Could have hung out with me, Mo, and Tracy, but now he's with Josh Cobbins. Like, you guys don't know, but Josh steals stuff. <laughs> right? That's, hey, that's what they were doing. That's what the... the look. He says, he's gone to stay with a sinful man. They were bashing Zacchaeus. They were pouring out judgment on Zacchaeus. You want to know what Jesus was doing? Pouring out grace. And I love, this is what happens. Look, I'll give half of my possessions to the poor, Zacchaeus said. If I've stolen anything from anyone, I'll pay back four times as much. And then Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house. And he said, you too are a son of God. For the Son of Man has come to seek and save the lost. You want to know why Jesus went to the house? One, because he was a good dude. It's because Jesus is a Savior. You want to know why Jesus will come to your house and to my house? Not because I'm a pastor or a good dude, but because I'm a sinner and he's a Savior. And the same is true for you. And when you meet the Savior, grace overflows. Grace overflows. 
This is my story. Um, Ephesians 2 talks about how before God, we're all dead in our trespasses. We're all mess ups. But then it goes, but God, in his mercy, by grace, you have been saved. It's not of your own doing. It's a gift. You don't earn gifts. They're given to us. And it says, because of the work of Christ, Jesus did something for us on the cross where our guilt is washed away. He was condemned to die on a cross so that you and I will not be condemned. Man, that's my anthem. That's my anthem. Not you can't judge me. It's that I've already been judged in Christ and I'm not guilty. Am I a sinner? Absolutely. But he gave me his righteousness. That's my anthem. And I pray it's yours. All right, so, so that is what I talk about when you see judgment delivered. Third, judgment described. Now, this is, this is a little bit crazy. Um, Andrew, can you and Josh, do you mind moving this table in and this table in? Uh, Stephen and Brian, can you guys move that a little bit closer? The, you guys get the table with the beam. And then our, our heavy lifters over here. Oh, hey, don't knock my splinter off. It's on there somewhere. All right, so check this out. Thank you, Josh. <laughs> That's good. Right there, right there. All right, there we go. It's still there. I see it. Bang. All right. Perfect. Thank you, guys. Thank you, guys. It's a good thing the muscle is on this side of the room. <laughs> That's right. Hey, so check this out. Why do you look at the splinter in your brother's eye, but you don't notice the beam avoided in your own eye? And so this is pretty simple. I love it. Jesus is a carpenter, and he uses an illustration everybody could use. You remember when we used this? This was a 10-foot basketball goal. This is a beam. And what Jesus is saying is we have people with this thing sticking out of their eye, and they're coming to people and they're saying, look at this guy. Look at this guy. Look at this splinter in this guy's eye. This is a little splinter, right? You can barely see it. It's hard to pick up. And I think what happens, what Jesus is saying is, hey, you guys are so concerned about these little things in other people's lives. And you're missing out this big thing in your life. You're quick to see all the faults in somebody else, but you miss this. And again and again and again in the Bible, this is what we see. Now, we church people have a bad track record at this. And I say church people because I don't think, I don't think it's Christians. If you love Jesus, you can't go around with your beam in your eye calling out everybody else's splinters. And so I think there's a lot of church attenders that think, oh, look at me. I showed up today on Sunday. Showed up at 11 o'clock. As a matter of fact, I showed up at 10.55. The countdown was still going on. I tell you what, I also give. I heard a sermon on giving this past month, and so I'm, I'm going to start giving. I even tried fasting. I didn't eat all the snacks this week, so I was going to pray some. And we start, And this is exactly what Jesus was talking about just a little bit ago. And then he goes, hey, but be careful. Don't judge. And what happens is we start thinking our sin isn't a big deal, but it's a beam. And this is what I mean. We can deal with pride in our own lives and try to hide it. But a drug addict can't hide it. Does pride separate you from God? Mm -hmm. What about self-righteousness? You can't be saved if you think you're good enough. As a matter of fact, that's exactly what Jesus said came to call the sick, not the healthy. Right? There, there's a lot of beams in the church world with church people. 
And you go to a restaurant on a Sunday afternoon, that's the worst time to work if you're a waitress or a waiter. Right? Should be the most generous people on the planet. Because we know that our sin costs God's son his life. And Jesus comes and he lays his life down for us. That's generosity. And yet when we go, the waitress doesn't get the order right, or the food's slow, or the food's cold, all of a sudden, oh, I'm not going to give a good tip. And it's known on Sunday afternoon. That's a rough time for our restaurants. Why is that? It's because we've got a bean, and we make a big deal out of splinters. Another one. Um, we had a guy, I'm not going to use names, we had a guy come up to, to Holmes and was talking to our group, and, and his, big, uh, his big issue was unwed pregnancies, right? So uh, a girl would get pregnant, and, and he thought, man, that was just, that, look, look at how hard that is to get over. You want to know what's harder to get over than pregnancy out of wedlock? Thinking you're good enough before God. It's an amazing thing, the splinters that we go after. Look at what she's wearing. Can you believe he's doing that? Look at what, look at that language. Can you hear that language? All the while, we're pouring out judgment. We've got this big old beam that we're looking out of. Now, I want us to be careful. Jesus doesn't end the story with that. You want to know what he says to do with that beam? Get it out. Deal with your sin. Deal with my sin. And so before I ever go to a brother or sister in Christ and say, hey, don't know if you notice this, but you probably shouldn't be doing that. Man, I'm spending a lot of time on myself. I've got to get this beam out. Now, check this out. This is the awesome promise. Hypocrite, verse 5. First, take the beam of wood out of your eye, and then you will see clearly. Then you will see clearly. And now here's the obligation. You'll see clearly for what? To take the splinter out of your brother's eye. Don't leave the splinter in your brother's eye, but make sure you get that beam out first. And so, hey, here's a couple of things that I just want us to, to understand before we pass judgment, before we go looking for splinters. Number one, what's your motivation? What's your motivation in having the conversation? You know, sometimes, um, man, somebody gets on my nerves so bad, and when they fall, I'm like, ha, yes. Knew you'd mess up. Beam. Got to get it out. I will never go to someone if I'm eager to go to them. Tell them how wrong they are. I'll never do it. That's my prayer. What's your motivation? Number two, examine your own walk with Jesus. So here's the cool part. If you're walking in the Spirit, guess what? The characteristics of the Spirit will fill your life. So you should be at peace. You should be characterized by gentleness. You can be firm and yet be gentle. You know what the goal and having a confrontation with somebody is, telling somebody about, hey, you don't need to do that. The goal is restoration, not separation. And so I'm not going to go bash somebody for messing up. I think God's already at work in their lives, and I hope we're drawing them back to Jesus, to walking with Him. So I'm going to examine my own walk with Jesus. Number three, I'm going to seek wisdom first. I'm going to dig into this book. There was one guy, oh, so mad. So I was leading a group of students. This is at a former church, and he got on me about the bulletins, the, the paper, right? So at this place, there were a lot of people writing notes. The sermon was long, longer than what it is here, so don't complain. <laughs> Went on. It gets to about 55 minutes. I mean, you can write almost half a book if you're passing love notes down the aisle, right? 
So so and so like so and so, and this and this going, and, and I look back, and I, there is a lot of garbage on the ground. And I had a couple older people in the church say, "Hey man, your your kids are messing up all this stuff. Our floor is just junk." And I looked, and there's some paper on the floor. I picked it up. I bit my tongue because I wanted to say something. And there were a lot of things I could have said. Like at that time, I only had a daughter. I'm like, huh, I don't know. My kid's back there in the nursery. I don't think anybody dropped anything. I go, hey, uh, I could have said, do you know any other names? No. You don't really care about the kids, do you? Why are you here? Right? There are a lot of things that were going through my mind. And so what I had to do, I had to dig into the word. And there's, there's a funny thing in Proverbs. It talks about how blessed is the one who can hold their tongue, who can overlook an offense. Man, I, I got some wisdom in that moment from digging into the word. You want to know another way you get wisdom? You got to ask some godly people. So obviously I've got family. I got a mom who's walked with Jesus for a long time. I've got a grandpa who walked with Jesus for a long time. And there's other people in the community and in our church that I can go to and ask. But I got to be very careful with this. Because you want to know what happens when you start asking godly, for godly wisdom? It can easily turn into gossip. Like, hey man, Trace, we got to go talk to, to Coach Sullivan. He's been riding around that Jeep skipping church. And what do you think? Like, oh man, you know, I've seen him out there in the Jeep. Took the top down, cruising. Like, oh man. Right, and all of a sudden now, all of a sudden, everybody knows Coach Sullivan's out cruising his Jeep instead of showing up on Sunday when we gather together. But man, there's some wisdom that we can have. There's, there's some conversations that we don't need to have, and there's some conversations that we do need to have. And we need some wisdom and counsel in that. So dig into the Bible, ask some godly people. Next, <clears throat> number four, love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. So when I mess up, and hey, as your pastor, I mess up. I need some of you to say, hey, Brown, I need you to look at it. But I want you to do it in a way that I would do it to you. Right? And so I don't want you talking behind my back. Right? Hey, did you see how out of shape Brown is? You can tell he brought munchkins for the, the church today, and he ate half the munchkins. Right? There's a, there's a lot of judgment. I mean, hey, you know what? Brown hasn't showed up at, at my door. He hasn't visited anybody. Like, what's he doing? Is he just wasting time? Right? And, and now, you, some of you might need to have a conversation with me. But I hope you don't have a conversation about me and never talk to me. I think a lot of times the church is great at talking about people. But we're awful at talking with people. So treat others the way you want to be treated. Number five, don't react out of anger. This is for parenting and this is also for church. When you're pointing out, judge, don't react out of anger. And I think for my football players and basketball players, when you have a coach and that coach reacts out of anger, is it a good thing or a bad thing? That's a bad thing. If you're, it doesn't help. So if you're going to pass judgment, if you're going to help a brother get a splinter out, don't do so. Can you imagine, let's say I have Isaiah coming up with some, some tweezers, and he's coming up, and you're like, oh, Brown, I've been waiting for this. You keep on, you're in my hallway up there on the third floor, and I've been, bam, comes in there and grabs that splinter. There's some damage that could be done, right? <coughs> So we, we, we don't want that. We do not, that's not our goal. We don't react out of anger or getting back at somebody. Number six, pray. And there's two things about pray for yourself and then pray for the other. Number one, it's dangerous. When you go and confront somebody, uh, the Bible talks about, I think it's uh, Galatians 6.1, says, hey, be very careful when you call out somebody lest you too be tempted. Right? And it's, it's a funny thing how Satan works. You'll go to help somebody and end up not only not helping them, but then hurting yourself. So you better be praying. And then, in James, there's a promise. Hey, confess your sins to one another. Pray for each other, for the prayer of a righteous person is very powerful and effective. 
If you haven't prayed for someone, never ever go and help them get a splinter out. Never ever go call somebody out. If you've never prayed for them, don't approach them. You need to pray for yourself, pray for the other, and then if God leads, go. And, and then finally, number seven, remember two things. One, some things are just different. Some things are just different. I remember I was judged one time Sunday. First, uh, first church, there was about 30 people in the church, and there were about 50 cows out back, and I remember being jealous. I wish I had it switched. I wish we had 50 people in here and 30 cows out back. It would smell better, and it would be better attendance on Sunday morning. It was a big Sunday. I didn't wear a tie. And I remember the oldest member in the church coming and saying, you know, uh, Pastor, that sermon would have been a lot better if you had a tie. Right? And I just remember, <laughs> I remember thinking, like, man, I'm a tie. wouldn't have helped that sermon. That was a dud. But it's amazing how we judge preferences. Style of music, style of music, whether it's fast or slow. Drums, drums are controversial. Did you guys know that? Uh, taking out pews. Bonnie and Richard, you guys know this. Taking out pews will split some churches because we like to judge on preferences. So be very careful. Some things are just different. They're not right or wrong. It's just different. And then remember, secondly, everybody's going to stand before Jesus. What they do when we call out and we're trying to help a brother and sister, what they do with it is, is before them and God. But make no mistake, we all stand before Jesus. We'll all give an account. And then it gets to our, our last verse. And, and, and this, this verse is kind of strange, talking about pearls and pigs. Puts it on there, and what I would say, this is a judgment call. you got to use discernment. Verse 6, don't give what is holy to dogs or toss your pearls before pigs, or they will trample them under their feet, turn, and then tear you to pieces. And I think this is interesting here. The gospel is the pearl, right? Now, here's the, here's the news. We're out, we're sharing the gospel, we're telling people about how they can be reconciled to God. And some people will ignore it. Some people will want nothing to do with it. Some people will get tired of you talking to them about it. That's fine. It's time to move on. How many people are in Covington? We should know this. How many people are in Covington? Around 40,000 people. I would say today, most of those people do not hear about Jesus. And so here's the deal. If we go to a house or if I talk to a student and like, man, I don't want anything to do with Jesus, that's fine. There's hundreds and thousands of other people that need to hear. The gospel is the pearl. It's infinitely valuable. Think about that. It's the power of God for salvation. Like you can be saved forever. That you can be with God right now. And walk with Jesus forever. You could be in heaven with Christ for all eternity because of what Jesus has done for us. And some people are like, that's ah, not a big deal. I'm more excited about the football game today. And Jesus is like, well, hey, listen, duh, pigs trample pearls. Move on. I also think it's interesting right here, the emphasis. The emphasis is on do not judge. But there is a verse here about discernment. Don't waste your time. There's too many people that are in desperate need of the pearl of the gospel, how they can be reconciled to God. And we've got to give the gospel to all people. And I'm going to leave you with this. <clears throat> Jesus never had a log in his eye. He could see your heart. He knows exactly who you are. He knows your motives. And he could see perfectly clear. 
There's no log. There's no splinter in the eye of Christ. But you want to know what he did do? He carried a beam on his back. Now, this is very, very important. You and I deserve the wrath of God. God created us and called us to himself. And all of us have run from God. All of us, in the words of Tupac Shakur, we do our own way. Nobody's pushing down on me. Only God can judge me. And he's right. But the problem is when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, we're all guilty. And we deserve to be eternally separated from Jesus. And you want to know what the great news is? You want to know what the gospel is? When we couldn't get to God, God came to us. And the only way we get to God was by Him carrying a beam and dying on it. And then He rose from the grave. And you want to know what the awesome news is? The righteousness that I'll never have, I get because of Jesus. He gives me His righteousness and He takes my sin, all of the beams in my eye, the splinters that fill my life, and He nails it to the cross. And then the Bible says there's no condemnation for those in Christ. That's my story. And that can be your story. You can stand before God and not be condemned. But it's only because of the grace of Christ. So this is, this is what I'm thinking. I think some of you are here because you need to hear that. You can know God. Ask Jesus to forgive you. Follow Him as Lord. And that's the decision you need to make right now. You can talk to God. You can ask Jesus just to do that. And then there's some in the room. And you know you shouldn't judge others, but that's what we've been doing. Man, ask God to remove this from our eyes. The beam that we look at everybody else's splinters from. It could be pride. It could be self-righteousness. Help us understand the grace that we have in Christ. And then let's show that grace off. Amen? All right, let's pray. Father, I thank you for gathering us here this morning. Lord, none of us deserve to approach your throne. And yet we can because of what Jesus has done for us. And so, Lord, I ask that you move. I pray that your spirit saves. I pray that you draw people to yourself. I pray that they know what it means to have no condemnation before you because of what Jesus has done for us. Father, you're moving. I pray we do what you've called us to do. I pray that we are who you called us to be. And ultimately, we thank you for Jesus who went to the cross for us. It's in his name we pray. Amen.